Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 to 12. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You all can have a seat. Thank you, Isaiah. Thank you. I'm fighting a cough and a bit of a cold, and so you're going to deal a little bit with my cough drop and my water. I'm so sorry. Um, for in our weakness, he is strong. Yes, and amen. Um, Y'all, I'm so thrilled that you're here this morning. Uh, welcome to church. It's great to be together. And um, we have been here at Christ the King for the last few weeks, if this happens to be uh, your first Sunday joining us, uh, going through a kind of epiphany time. This is in the church calendar uh, world, the time of epiphany, which is the season that stretches between Christmas and Lent. And so here at Christ the King for the last few weeks, we've been thinking together about what it means that Jesus came and was born, but then he also made something known to us. He revealed God in some particular and unique way. He did something apart from just showing up, you know. He came, but then uh, what else? What was it that he made known, that he revealed? That's what Epiphany calls us to think about, to reflect on. Epiphany means to be made manifest or to appear. And so the question is, what did Jesus make manifest? What appeared as a result of him being here with us? And what we have said is that in part, and there are a million different ways that a person could answer that question rightly, but one of the things is that Jesus as Emmanuel made the with God life available to us within himself. He came and said, I came that you might have life and have it to the full, an abundant life. And that kind of abundant life is who he was. It's what he came to bring to us, to give to us, a with God way to live my life. Not a particular way to act, not specific things to do or believe, not a program, not a philosophy, a person, a presence, a kind of reality that I can be enfolded into and from within that live my life. And so we've been asking ourselves, thinking about together, well, how does a person sort of move toward that? What does that even mean? You know, when people decided to follow Jesus, what on earth is that about? And we've named three movements that if you're paying attention to the Gospels, and again, there are different ways of talking about it, and other people have probably said it better. But for our purposes, we've identified three movements. That apparently there's a point at which a person comes to Jesus, 
Then a person chooses to be with Jesus so that a person might become like him. So choosing to come to him, being with him, and becoming like him. These three movements are a part of what this with God life apparently is about. And so the last number of weeks we've looked at coming to him. What does that even mean? And we talked about specifically in the story of Andrew making the choice to follow Jesus, to turn from what he was doing, pivot, and move towards the Lord, and that that direction matters. Otherwise, what I end up doing with Jesus is taking him along with me wherever I'm going. And that's true. He's with you wherever you go. But discipleship, which is what we talked about in part last week, being an apprentice of Jesus, learning to live in the way that he lived, would require that I come to him as my teacher, that I need to go to wherever he is to choose to be with him so I can learn from him. That's what Simon did and others. Andrew. We talked about the story and have a couple of weeks where Andrew's like following behind Jesus. Jesus turns around and says, what do you want? And he says, teacher, where are you staying? Coming to Jesus is an acknowledgement that I have not just things to learn, but everything to learn from him. And I would submit to you that I don't care how long you've been doing this. This is not just like a progression that moves linearly in my life. Like there was a season of my life where I was coming to Jesus and then a point at which I was being with him and then I'm now becoming like him. It just over and over and over again, we're invited into every year, as it were, with epiphany to reflect on like coming to him. Is that what my life is like? Does it bear marks or evidence at all that I've made the, ch- the choice to come to Jesus to be with him where he is? So coming to him. And then secondly, being with him. This is what we talked about quite a lot last week. That with this with God life, I'm learning to keep company with Jesus as a disciple or an apprentice. Um, to learn from him by abiding with him. And what that means is I keep company with Jesus by doing things, specific practices, acts. There's a way to live that keeps me tethered to Jesus like a vine stays tethered to a trellis. That's the image we used last week. If I want my life to bear fruit is the analogy used in the Bible. If I want it to look like Jesus and feel like Jesus to people around me, then I'm going to need some tracks to run on some way of keeping company with him. And I would submit to you that I think this is the crisis for most of us. This is the crisis point. Giving some kind of intellectual or even emotional assent to Jesus, many of us have done that at some point. And would probably, no matter where you are right now, deconstructing and all, might say, you know, of the options, I feel probably the best about this one. But if you were to point at ways in which your life, that you live on purpose to keep your life actually tethered to Jesus, that's where it feels the least clear. And so we talked about the need for a trellis, a rule of life, things that we actually do, not so that we have a law to follow or a checklist, but a way to stay tethered to him so that I can be with him. That's what we talked about last week. The last one is becoming like him. And I feel um, always like it's important to be reminded um, that we don't become like him by doing good stuff. You know what I mean? 
I honest to God wish it was that simple. I'm a pretty dutiful person. I wish I could just, somebody could give me a checklist. This is how I've lived most of my life. And A means you do what? Oh, great. I'll do that then. Being a Christian means you do and don't do what? Oh, fantastic. I'm just like Jesus. Particularly in light of the passage that we read today, it's what we're going to be thinking about and focusing on together. It's just not, that's not the way it's meant to work. And I'm not saying to you that's necessarily a bad thing to do. Better to have a checklist in the way that you live than not have one. Please hear me. (laughs) But if we reduce what Jesus was saying, who he is and what he came to do, to only that, then I fear we've tragically missed something, namely him and the reality that he came to enfold us into. My God, it feels good when I do a good thing, but I promise you it is nothing like just actually living my life with him. And I know how frustrating that can be. I'm not talking even about feeling. That's not what I'm talking about. If you sit there today and you think, yeah, it's great for you, I've never felt a darn thing. I hear you. I also, as long as there's breath in your lungs, believe that you can, that you were made to and that you will. Maybe all you're lacking is a trellis. But feelings aside, what I'm talking about is more than that. There is a reality that is Jesus himself. And I want to learn to live my life from within that reality. That's what he meant. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's like all around you, at hand. It's here. It's here. It's a reality that I am wrapped up into. And that changes everything. The way I see you, the way I see myself, the way I live my life. And what he came to give us was a key. The door. What did he say? I am the gate. I'm the way in. You want in on that? Come through me. That's more than a checklist. We are to be clothed with Christ, as Paul says it. Lord, not just imitating him. I wish I could dress up like him and that make me Jesus or do the things he did that make me Jesus. Just like I wish learning to sing Hey Jude made me Paul McCartney. But it doesn't, you know. You learn to play one Pink Floyd song and you're not David Gilmore. You're still you. Similarly, Paul said this, In Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you were baptized into Christ and have been clothed with him. The language is more visceral. You have been submerged. You've been drenched. You've been saturated with a different kind of life. So that the skin that you have, that is that you're wrapped in, is himself and folded into him clothed with him. What does it mean? You'll spend all of your life learning from him what it means should you choose to follow him. That's the invitation. Last week, we read the story of Jesus calling his first disciples, Simon, Andrew, James, and John on the beach, fishing, because they were fishermen. And Jesus says to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I hated this verse for most of my life. 
confession to you. Anytime I would see a fish hook associated with what it means to be Christian, it made me deeply uncomfortable, cringy. Oh, is that what this is? I'm like, snag people for Jesus. <laughs> Laurel men gasping for air. <laughs> it's awful. It's awful. And I, you know, I'd go to camp just like probably some of you and be like, yes, I want to make me a f- man. <laughs> a big shiny lure, Lord. I guess. So did you know, as it turns out, to be a fisher of men in the first century was a popular idiom to describe what it meant to be a disciple of a rabbi. Rabbis were fishers of men. And whatever you feel about that, whatever. All I'm saying is Jesus didn't invent the idiom. People had an association with it already. Rabbis were people who were catching and catching up people's imaginations with their teaching. They would teach and people were caught up into what they were talking about. And so what Jesus says, and this is the part that I think is so great, the invitation from Jesus is not that he would make you into a, a proselytizer or an ad man. Jesus went up to Simon Peter and he looked at him and said, do you want to be like me? Peter, do you want to be like me? Follow me and I will make you like me. Not I will make you my disciple. See, that's, that's the gift. Rabbis had disciples, and the invitation always went like, come and follow me and be my disciple. Yes, but for Jesus, he, he did something different. He was adding a layer. Come be my disciple, but don't stop there. Be as I am. Become like me. What a gift to be a fisher of men in the way that Jesus is to become like him. The with God life. So that raises the question then, if we're to become like him, who and what is he? Matthew 5, the famous Beatitudes. Jesus' hit sermon, as it were. The blesseds. Jesus goes up on a mountain. Matthew says, Luke thought it happened somewhere else, but that's fine. In Matthew's mind, it was a mountain. And that's because Matthew was a fan of Moses. He was an avid reader of his Hebrew Bible. And when Matthew looked at Jesus, he saw Moses. You want to know why? Because Matthew was a tax collector. He was hated by his peers, a lot like Moses, who was exiled from his community, from his neighbors, for what he, doing justice on their behalf, he thought. And they hated him for it, and so he fleed. He was a runaway, and he was found by God and told, you're going to be their deliverer, Moses. And so Matthew looked at Jesus, and he saw in Jesus a new Moses, someone who'd saved him when he was a man who'd been hated by his peers. So, like Moses on Mount Sinai, Jesus goes up on a mountain, and he sits down, and he begins to teach, to give a new law. a new lawgiver. Here's the catch. And there usually is one with Jesus, not because he's tricky, um, but just because he's brilliant. 
And he wants to make sure that we're listening, that we're actually paying attention to what's happening and what he's saying. It's why he taught in parables. It was his way of saying, are you listening? Be careful. Don't assume. Sit, listen, open up your ears and your mind so that you can hear what I'm trying to say. This teaching from Jesus is meant both to recall Moses and the giving of the law at Sinai and also to transcend it. Jesus will go on later in Matthew's gospel to say, I did not come to abolish the law, but, do you remember? To fulfill it. So he's going to transcend what happened on Mount Sinai. And what happened on Mount Sinai was pretty straightforward. Moses comes down, that's how I imagine it. It was big heavy rocks. And on them are a list of do's and don'ts. Pretty straightforward. Don't lie, don't steal, don't murder, do keep the Sabbath. Do honor God and your parents. Don't worship idols, straightforward. A gift, brilliant and genius in its own right. But Jesus is not saying in the way that Moses was. Go and hunger and thirst for righteousness. Go and become poor in spirit. Go and be merciful. I think he probably thought those were good things. (laughs) to be clear. But have you ever tried to just be hungry? Hungry is not something I do. Hungry is something I am. You can do a merciful thing, but to be a merciful person is an altogether different thing. <laughs> I, what on earth would it even look like to try to become poor in spirit? And I'm not saying you shouldn't try necessarily. But I'll tell you right now, if you've ever actually been poor in spirit, you didn't try to get there. Do you know what I'm saying? Impoverished, destitute, empty. Despair. To be poor in spirit is to feel utterly helpless and naked before the world and God and everyone else. What does it mean that Jesus then came and looked at these people and said, blessed are you? Not those of you who tried to become this, but blessed are you, you people right here who are that today. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. What a wild thing. Blessed are you who in a mean, mean world have continued to be people of mercy. Blessed are you. And here's what's so powerful about that to me. In other words, Jesus was saying, mercy is its own kind of power. It's the only real power there is. You see what I'm saying? Jesus was describing reality. He was standing up and telling people, in a world full of lies and false narratives, what's true. He was not giving you a to-do list. Dallas Willard, um, God, who's with our Lord, died a number of years ago, cherished thinker and writer, he had this to say. In The Divine Conspiracy, if you've never read it, it's long and there are a lot of words. Um, it's really good. He says this. Jesus did not say, blessed are the poor in spirit, because they are poor in spirit. 
he did not think what a fine thing it is to be destitute of every spiritual attainment or quality. It makes people worthy of the kingdom. No. In so doing, we are merely substituting another legalism for the ecstatic pronouncement of the gospel. Those poor in spirit are called blessed by Jesus not because they are in a meritorious condition, but because precisely in spite of and in the midst of their ever so deplorable condition, the rule of the heavens has moved redemptively upon and through them by the grace of Christ. Do you see what he's saying? In other words, you can't earn it. Jesus got up on the mountain as a new Moses to give us the revelation of God. And you know what the revelation was? You can't earn it. It's me. And you can't earn me. Who was poor in spirit? Jesus. Who's merciful? Jesus. Who hungered and thirsted? For his righteousness, Jesus did. And so the invitation is, I believe, blessed are you who would become like me and in the meantime be enfolded by who I am. And what an invitation it is. We can't checklist our way there. If you watched or read about Tyre Nichols' death, If you allowed your mind to imagine what it must be like to be beaten to death while you called for your mother as a grown person and you felt nothing, then Jesus is saying, let me rescue you. Let me teach you what's true. How to be compassionate not do stuff that is compassionate. I cannot conjure real compassion. Co-passion is, in the Greek, it's your guts. It's your belly. Humans were not made to beat one another to death. And we're all bound up in that pain. We're all bound up in that violence. I wish to God I could sever it from myself. But right now, if your heart does not break for Memphis, and more importantly, if you do not know that Memphis and all that's happening there is in you and a part of you, then God have mercy on us. We've missed it. We belong to one another because we belong to Jesus. We are in him. That's what's real. That's what's true. The rest of it's pretend. Power and money and prestige and position, all that power that comes with it that the world would bestow on people that way, it's pretend. He wants to give you what's true. You are not being invited to embrace a new law, but to put yourself in a position where you can be enfolded into the presence of Jesus. And I know that's about as straightforward as all the rest of this. What does that actually mean and look like? Well, next week and the week after, we're going to be pretty terribly, painfully practical. But it would be an injustice to start there. You'd miss it. It's the way we're wired. 
oh, what this is all about is making sure that I get my checklist right, my rules right, that I do the things. And I don't care if we think we know that's not the way. We're wired to just tend that direction, trend that direction. It's where I go. I need to, to be tethered to him. There's a story in the Old Testament that I think, for whatever reason, comes to mind when I read the Beatitudes. It's one of my favorites. Moses is up on Mount Sinai, and he knows it's time for the people of Israel to leave Sinai. They've been camped out here, so they left Egypt. They left slavery. They got to Mount Sinai, and they had a moment to recoup and try to adjust to a new identity, a new God, a new way to live. And they were there for a while, a beautiful time of respite. But now they were, it was time to leave, to move into the promised land, a new start. You can't stay on the mountain forever, you know. And Moses doesn't want to go. Well, actually, what he says, he's having a chat with the Lord up on the top of Mount Sinai. And he says to him, you brought us here. These are your people. I'm not leading them anywhere unless you promise to go with me. Unless your presence goes, I don't go. Unless you show me how to do this, I won't go. I need you to show me what to do. And God says, okay, here's how this is going to work. Do you see this crack in the rock over here? I'm going to need you to climb inside of that crack. Because when my glory passes by you and I announce myself, you can't look at it. I don't know what Moses was thinking, but I think he probably had something more in mind, like the tablets with written instructions on them that he received later. Do you know what I mean? I think he probably wanted a roadmap, an instruction manual. That's what I would have wanted. And instead, what God said is, I hear you, climb in the rock, and I'll walk by you. So that's what he does. Rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. He climbs inside the crack, the crevice of this mountain, and as he's there, the glory of God passes by. He announces himself, I am the Lord, merciful and compassionate, abounding in steadfast love. I am the Lord. That's it. And whatever that meant or looked like, whatever happened, Moses crawls out of the crack and he feels ready to go do the thing he's supposed to do. I don't know that it's more complicated than you making a choice every single day to find some little crevice to hide yourself in for a minute so that Jesus can go before you and announce, I am the Lord. I'm abounding in mercy and steadfast love. It's good. And that somehow the goodness of his glory changes me over time. So what we're going to figure out is how do I get myself into that crack every day? What does it look like to be there so that I have a place and from a place from which Jesus can announce his goodness? According to Exodus, Moses' face was transformed 
melted his face right off being in that crowd. That's all we want. That's the goal. Just my face would just be like his face. Whatever that means. Help us, Holy Spirit. Lord, we submit ourselves to the truth of your word. And we choose now, Jesus, I pray that you would help us, Holy Spirit, to choose to believe that all you want is to enfold us into what's good and lovely and right and true. To hem us in behind and before. Would you help us, Lord, just to trust today that that's all you're asking for, that's all we have to do. Have mercy, Lord, in Jesus' name.